A-T-I-V-Y-A-H dot O-R-G. Recorded February 1994 at North Atlanta Church of Christ. Pharisees, Sadducees, and their impact for the church. A three-part series, part two. To get into it, I have to take a few minutes and just lecture to you about the world of Jesus Christ. It's very, very important to know in what context Jesus Christ and the apostles lived in and functioned in. First, Judea was occupied by an occupying Roman army. In other words, it was a country that was not free, certainly not democratic. The people of the land were occupied by a foreign empire, Rome. How did that occupation come into be? How did the Romans come to the land of Israel? Who knows? Anybody? They came because one of the Hashmonite kings. The Hashmonite kings are those that came from the family of Matthew the Maccabee. The Greeks occupied. When Alexander the Great died, he divided his empire into four parts. Three of them were in the Middle East. One was Egypt and Libya and Sudan that he gave to one of his generals the name of Ptolemy. The second was Greater Syria, which was Israel, what today is Jordan, Syria and Lebanon, and all the way up to the Euphrates to Iraq, and he gave that to a general by the name of Seleucus. Yeah? And his kingdom was called the Seleucids. And the third one was that he gave, he gave to, there were three generals, excuse me, Greece and Asia Minor to a general by the name of Philip. And he divided his empires to these three generals. Seleucus, the, you know, brought the Hellenistic, the Greek culture into the Middle East. And one of his successors, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, conquered Israel and decided that everybody's got to become Greek. And so he desecrated the temple by offering pig on the altar. There was a, the Jewish people were very, very oppressed religiously. He forbade circumcision. He forbade the study of the law, of the law of Moses, and tried to force Greek culture on the Jews. Well, there was an old man, a Levite by the name of Matthew, that lived in the village of Modi'in, and he and his had five sons. His five sons rebelled, led the rebellion against the Greeks, won uh, the rebellion, and purified the temple on the 25th of the month of Kislev, which comes around Christmas. And that's what the Feast of Hanukkah, that's what Jews celebrate in the Feast of Hanukkah. Feast of Lights, because he was able to purify the temple and to relight the candle according to the legend with a little bit of oil that was found in a jar that was not desecrated by the Greeks. The sons of this Matthew became the Hashmonite kingdom. 
And one of the kings that lived in the second century BC, on the first century BC actually, was named Janius. And he had two sons, and he sent them to school to America. In other words, he sent them to school to the West. At that time it was Rome and Greece. One his name was Aristobulus, the other one was Orcanus. And these brothers, when their father died, couldn't get along, and they were fighting with each other over the throne. They hated each other, even though they were brothers, and wanted supremacy. One was a little bit philosophic, the other one was a macho man, like Jacob and Esau. Well, that Jacob guy that was the weaker character couldn't win the war against his brother, Aristobulus. So he invited the big daddy, Rome, which was an up-and-coming empire that really didn't have that much interest in the Middle East. They had interest in Egypt. Mark Antony was the governor of Egypt at that time. So they, he invited Rome to come and intervene between him and his brother. The Roman army came peacefully, by invitation, like the Americans went to Vietnam. Yeah. And, uh, and, and stayed there for many, many years, occupying the land and basically had puppet rulers like Herod the Great, yeah, that was educated in Rome, and he was a puppet ruler. He was really a puppet of messenger of Rome. But anyway, um, that's how the Romans came into the land, and they stayed there. By the time of Jesus, they were already occupying the land for more than half a century. Yeah? They had a Roman governor and a Judean puppet ruler, Herod. That's the political scene into which Jesus and, and the early church was born. The religious scene was this. There was the old, rich, moneyed people, politicians, that were left over from the time of the Hashmonite kings. Yeah? The Hashmonite Hellenistic kings, like Janius. Uh, left a whole class of very wealthy aristocracy. And they were educated, most of them, by the Greek culture. Yeah. They were rationalist, Aristotelian, in their very basic uh, way of thinking. And we call them the Sadducees. Yeah. Because they claimed that their authority comes as a result of the temple system that was given to Tzadok. Who was Tzadok? Well, Zadok, I don't know how you pronounce him in English. Who was Zadok or Tzadok? Remember that there was a priest by the name of Eviatar and a priest by the name of Zadok. They were priests in the time of who? David, King David. And of course, because the prince Eviatar, that was the high priest at the time of David, sided not with Solomon, but sided with Adonijah, David's oldest son, after Absalom. Yeah? Absalom's brother, Adonijah. Yeah? And because Eviatar, the high priest, sided when David was old with Adonijah, 
Solomon had him killed and gave the priesthood to David's private priest, Sadok. And the word Sadducee comes from the word Sadok. They are those priests that came from the order of Sadok, a Levite, also a Levite. They came from the order of Sadok and they were the religious and the financial aristocracy of the land. Well-educated people. Rationalists, because they were educated according to the Greek system. Like they were sent to the best schools. And they came back from the best schools with this very Western orientation. Yeah? I guess the most Aristotelian philosopher and ruler that you've had in America, in American history, who is it? You know? Jefferson. Jefferson was the most Aristotelian uh, philosopher and king, no king, president. Yeah? Uh, in, in America. And so, this is, these were the Sadducees. They were a small group, but extremely powerful and well-educated and financially very healthy. There was another group that was very alive in the first century, and they were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the upper middle class, the new middle class. They were few in number, maybe fewer even than the Sadducees. They were the, the people who were educated in the religious system of the time. And uh, they were wealthy as well, but not as wealthy as the Sadducees. They were the modern Pentecostals in the time of Jesus. They were the people that were spiritually interested in, in God's things. They were interested in the law. They were interested in spiritual things. They were interested in righteousness and doing what is good and godly and right. Uh, and in a minute I'm going to quote to you some passages from Josephus and other places about who the Pharisees really were. And they spent a lot of time in studying the Bible, in worship, in fellowship, and in consecrating themselves to God's things. There were smaller groups that were very, very religious and very, very dedicated, like the Essenes and, and the Therapeutae and other smaller sects of people that basically saw the situation in the land and said, this is, we can't fix it. It's too far gone. What we need to do is just dedicate ourselves to a spiritual uh, life and separate ourselves from the politics and from the industry and from the worldly things and, and basically go out into the desert and build ourselves a community of holy people that will be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And when he comes, we will be his army. Yeah. And he will give us the victory. We can't depend anymore on the system. We're giving up on the system. That's basically what the, the Therapeutae, the Essenes, uh, the Dead Sea sect, whatever you want to call it, did. 
the majority of the people in the time of Jesus was what's called the people of the land were simple folks. They were not very religious, but they believed in God. They were not educated, but they worked hard. They were people who uh, had their concerns in everyday life. Farming, doing a little business, but did not really uh, get involved in the system. They were the everyday people. The average John Smith. Yeah? And they, were, they had spiritual interest, but they were not educated and they didn't really observe everything uh, with great detail. Okay? That was the sociological and the political and the religious on, in a thumb sketch. Now, why do we have in the New Testament so much dealings with the Pharisees? I mean, they are the, the group that was mentioned the most in the New Testament. That was dealt with the most and also most severely by Jesus. And, and we hear about them most. Why? They were the most influential, maybe. They were very influential. But they were, the Sadducees were also influential. And yet Jesus only had one confrontation with them. Who bugs you the most? Who do you deal with in your life the most? People that you're in relationship with. Yeah? When have you heard a sermon preached in the church against Buddhism? Raise your hand. If you heard a sermon against Buddhism or Islam, raise your hand. Yeah? You haven't heard one. But you know, there are a lot of Buddhists in the world. And they're very, very powerful in their influence on your media, on your television, in, 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 in the universities. And Americans are falling like flies, or used to in the 70s and in the 60s, to Eastern religions. I remember on the streets of, Marsh, of Nashville even, the Hare Krishna groups going with their heads shaved, wearing saffron robes with drums and, and, and collecting money and singing in the streets. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. But you haven't heard a sermon about those people, right? Why not? That they were not a part of your concern. You did not have a relationship with them you never had a personal acquaintance that became uh, a Hare Krishna follower uh, in which you had enough concern to study about them as a community. Yeah? But, but you hear about the antis a lot. You used to at least when I was a student at Lipscomb in the 60s. Because that was the most painful relationship that people in the churches of Christ had. Yeah? You only reprimand and try to correct and call to account people that you have a relationship with. Even enemies that you don't have a relationship with, you don't really spend much time talking about them. Am I right or wrong? Correct me. This is why you hear about the Pharisees so much. Because Jesus and Paul 
and most of his apostles were Pharisees. Their worldview was Pharisaic. Their approach to the scriptures were Pharisaic. The people that they loved and were concerned with were Pharisaic. And the people that persecuted them were Pharisaic. Any questions? I, I know that to some of you it's a shock to hear that Jesus was a Pharisee. Yeah? Is it a shock? Jesus in his worldview was a Pharisee. Open your Bibles in Acts 23, in which we have a nice description of who the, what the Pharisees believed and who they were. Acts 23, we're going to do like we always did. Uh, I'm going to ask somebody to read. Verse 6-9. through nine. Raise your hand, I'll give you a microphone. Who's going to read? But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee a son of Pharisees, with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? All right. Now, you notice that uh, Paul, first of all, says, I am a Pharisee. He doesn't say, I was a Pharisee. He says, I am a Pharisee. And the same thing is true in Philippians chapter 3. I think it's verse 5. Paul says, I am a Pharisee. Yeah. Educated by the best of the Pharisees. Yeah. In the strictest sect of the Pharisees. Who was what? Who was Paul's teacher? Gamaliel. You know, he's only mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament. But, and you don't know what kind of teacher he was. But he was one of the finest teachers and one of the great judges of Israel. And you know for whose rights he stood most of Gamaliel's writings, and we have quite a bit of them. In Judaism, we have preserved in the Talmud a lot of Gamaliel's rulings and writings. He was a great fighter for women's rights and for the rights of the oppressed. And so it's, when you read his writings, you find out that it was no wonder that he said what he said when Peter was in trial in Jerusalem. Remember that they wanted to, 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 to kill Peter? And he said, just a minute. We, this has never succeeded. If what this man says is from God, even if you kill him, it will succeed. If it is not from God, it will dry up like a lot of other things have dried up. And many, there were many false messiahs who have come before uh, this Jesus. And we didn't have to do anything about it. They all died and their disciples scattered. So let's not, you know, dirty our hands with this man's blood because we don't really know right now if what he says is true or not. We'll just give time and see how it's going to develop. 
That was Gamaliel's ruling in Acts chapter 5. Yeah? And Paul said that he was his teacher. And when you read Gamaliel, you, you understand how Paul came by some of his uh, characteristics. Because they were all a product of the world in which they were living, like we are a product of the world that we, in which we are living. So, I'm coming back. Jesus and most of his disciples were Pharisees in their worldview. Here is why. Paul says, the book of Acts says in chapter 23 that the Pharisees believed in angels. Yeah? Did the New Does the New Testament believe in angels? Did Jesus believe in angels? Yes. Second, it says that they believed in the resurrection from the dead. Does the New Testament believe in the resurrection from the dead? Yes. Third, they believe in the sanctity of all the scriptures. Yeah. Does the New Testament believe in the sanctity of all the scriptures? The Sadducees believed in the sanctity only of the five books of Moses. Yeah. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the spirit, where Acts 23 tells us that the Pharisees believed in the spirit. The spirit of God. Yeah. Which means that the Pharisees believed in the spirit and the Sadducees did not believe in the spirit. They were Jeffersonian or rationalist or Aristotelian. If, they, if, it, if it's something that cannot be proven or bottled up in a test tube yeah, and examined, yeah, then it is not real. It is not true. Now, basically, that's how the rationale went. Now, if this is true, what are we from that point of view? Pharisees or Sadducees? We ought to be Pharisees, yeah? But I'm afraid that we are Sadducees in many respects. Now, the Pharisees are described in this way. I'll, I'll read to you two sections from Josephus of what he says about them. They were the most accurate interpreters of the law of Moses. Is that true in light of the New Testament? Does the New Testament give the Pharisees this uh, statement that Josephus said, that they were the most accurate interpreters of the law? What? Compared to anybody, they had the best legal tradition of interpreting what the Word of God says. Where does it give it? That's right. Jesus said the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. Now in order for you to understand this, you have to know. This is the pulpit. We learned to have a pulpit like this. From where? Is a pulpit mentioned in the New Testament. We learned to have a pulpit from the Muslims. The first people that had a pulpit were the Muslims. Salah Adin, the great Muslim conqueror during the Crusades, built the first pulpit in the synagogue, not in the, in the mosque of Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. His pulpit is still standing there. Yeah, the reason that they had to have a pulpit is because they didn't have their buildings designed like this. 
Yeah? They had their buildings designed flat in the cathedral style and it was very difficult for people, they had no PA system and the buildings were very large and it was difficult for people to listen to the reading of the Quran so they built a very high uh, staircase and on top of that staircase they had a chair or a, 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 a cushion and next to the cushion they had a pulpit which was basically a big book stand to hold the Quran yeah? and that's how in the old European churches after the Crusades you see that the pulpits are way up high right you go up on a staircase up around and they're way up high because they didn't have the PA system but in the synagogue they stood up to read from the scroll because the scroll was a big thing and heavy thing much heavier and bigger than the Quran and then the preacher would sit down on his chair to talk to the people to expound what they read to exegete the text of their weekly portion of reading the law yeah? so that is the seat of Moses it is the pulpit that when the preacher sits down after he read the law he is speaking by the authority of what was read in the law you understand? the authority resided in the text of God's word and then the preacher's job was to expound correctly what is written there not to preach a sermon but to deal with the text that was what a Jewish sermon was, was like dealing with the text itself now that's the seat of Moses and he says the Pharisees are sitting in the seat of Moses they are in the authority to interpret the law the word of God correctly that's the authority of the Pharisees when they interpret the law of God correctly they are sitting in the seat of Moses yeah? that's the same thing that Josephus said now Jesus added and said whatever they tell you to do when they are interpreting the text and they tell you to do something that they find in the text you should do it but they don't do what they do why? because nine reasons the rest of chapter 23 which we're going to study during the service at least we're going to have a sermon on chapter 23 of Matthew yeah uh, it's by Bill's request not by mine uh, that we should talk about this subject but, uh, but in essence the rest of the chapter is an explanation of what the Pharisees do that we ought not to do and explaining why they are called hypocrites which we will deal with later now it's not what they said to do but how they behaved with what they knew was right and that's a human problem not a problem of the Pharisees yeah we very seldom hear the phrase that was very popular in the 60s practice what you preach yeah and, and, and this is basically the basic failure of human nature yeah? and we'll look at it later in greater detail so Josephus and the New Testament hold that the Pharisees are the true interpreters of the law the second thing that Josephus says is also interesting it says that I'm, I'm quoting to you from Josephus 
they, sim they simplify their standard of living and make a, no concession to luxury. They simplify their standard of living and make no concession to luxury. Does the New Testament uphold this? It does. You follow up Jesus' criticism sometime. And especially Paul, who says twice, I am a Pharisee, in the present tense. Yeah? Then you see that the whole instruction for women not to braid their hair with gold or with silver, but to be modest and not to put on too much uh, luxury of fancy clothing and so forth, all of that comes from Paul's pharisaic outlook on life. Yeah? Certainly not from the Sadducee outlook on life, but from his pharisaic education, upbringing, and world view. Any questions still here? Oh, yes, sir. Okay, if you want to find it, it is in the Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 18, passage 12. And it says that they simplify their standard of living and make no concession to luxury. Of course, there are, it's wonderful when we have the Bible that speaks about something, and then we have other sources that expound on what the Bible says. Why is that wonderful? Because the Bible is a very concise and exact book. It's not a history book, nor a sociology book. It is designed by God and the Holy Spirit to bring people to faith in God. And so, it has very little room for just doing backgrounding like I'm doing this morning. This is all an introduction to the sermon. Yeah? What I'm doing now is only an introduction to the sermon. And those that aren't, weren't here during Sunday school will not have the benefit of the introduction. But, but this is what's called backgrounding. Yeah? But we have two major sources... That, that talk to us about the Pharisees in an objective way, beside the New Testament, and that is Josephus and Philo of Alexandria. And they both point out the shortcomings and the blessings of the Pharisees. I want to uh, go back to one of the things that I mentioned that needs to be expounded. Jesus had a relationship with the Pharisees. They knew him. He visited their home. Remember in Luke 7? Who was the guy, Simon, that invited Jesus to his house when the sinful woman came and, and, and poured the expensive ointment from an alabaster jar on his feet? He was called what? Simon the Pharisee. Right? In Luke 13, again, another Pharisee invites Jesus for what it says in your, in your Bible. I think it says for dinner. In reality, it was for breakfast. Because it's interesting to say, in America, when I say dinner, yeah, what do I mean? The evening meal, right? 
And what is supper? Also the evening meal, right? In the ancient world, in Israel, they used the word for the main meal, which was in the Middle Eastern culture, in the middle of the morning. People only ate two meals a day, by the way. Yeah, they ate a meal in the morning and a meal in the evening. The meal in the morning was after they had gone to worship. Yeah? And after they had prayed, around 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning, they ate their main meal of the day. Yeah? And in the afternoon, they ate around 4.30, 5 o'clock. The reason for that is there was no electricity. And light uh, 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 place was difficult to, light, to make light in, in the dark. With candles and with other things. So they ate while there was still daylight outside in the Middle Eastern culture. Yeah. And the main meal of the day in, the, in our part of the country, in Israel, was in the morning. But in Greece, it was in the evening. Yeah. It was a colder climate and they, you know, they ate in the evening. Now... We know that also from the book of Acts and other places. The word used there in the Greek is Ariston, which in our culture is in the morning, and in their culture is in the evening. That's why the guys who translated the King James Bible, that were more versed in the Greek culture than in the Israelite culture, translated the men invited him for dinner, and asked him, why did not you wash? Which in your Bibles it's written, wash your hands. And your hands is in italics in the New American Standard Bible. Yeah? Because the Greek doesn't say, why didn't you wash your hands? It says, why didn't you wash? Now the word for washing is what? Baptizo, in this case. In Luke. Yeah? Which doesn't mean, why didn't you wash your hands? But why have not you immersed? Yeah? And this Pharisee was what is called Hemero Baptist. Yeah. He was, they were Jewish, one of the sects of the Pharisees. There were seven different kinds of Pharisees listed in, 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 in both in, in the Jewish literature and, and in the New Testament they're enumerated and also in the Jewish sources. Seven different kinds of Pharisees. And uh, so this Pharisee that was a friend of Jesus that invited him for breakfast asked him how come you didn't weren't baptized this morning because they were being baptized every morning why were they baptized every morning because of the purity laws they were so strict the Essenes the average Essene was baptized seven or six times a day that's why when you go to Qumran you see baptistries everywhere why because every time a person defiled himself, he had to be purified. Yeah? And excuse the expression, but every, every time they went to uh, the WC, yeah? What is WC? No, it's women's church. <laughs> that was my, one of my bad jokes. 
But, uh, but any, anyway, one, every time they went to the WC, they, they considered themselves defiled, and they had to be, go and be immersed to be purified. Ceremonial purity. So this man asked Jesus, how come you were not, if you're a part of our group, how come you were not uh, baptized in the morning? Before you came for breakfast. Didn't ask him about the washing of hands. He asked him about, he was a part of these Pharisees. Here are the seven kinds of Pharisees that the Jewish writings enumerate. They, it comes from a quotation from a tractate in the Talmud, and it is King Janius telling his wife, Princess Mary, don't fear the Pharisees, but fear them who are hypocrites. And who are those hypocrites from among the Pharisees? Those who say, take a commandment and carry it and, and, and do it, but they themselves don't lend you a finger to help you keep the commandment. Those who say, load up heavy burdens on the people, yeah. so that they will do as much as they can. Yeah. In other words, you ask for the maximum that you can. Yeah, even if they can't keep it, and that way you can, you make sure they'll keep some of it. Yeah? The third kind are, are those who say, who preach and keep not themselves. The fourth kind are those who say, show me what I have to do to please God and I will do it. Yeah? The fifth kind are those Pharisees who are doing it for the praise of men, yeah. who lengthen their, uh, their, their fringes and broaden their phylacteries. Uh, the sixth kind, I don't remember the exact terminology, but basically are those who care for the outwardly things, but don't very much uh, look into the inwardly things. That's the, the, the kinds of Pharisees that the Jewish writers write about and criticize. And when we look at the sermon, we see that Jesus basically in Matthew 23 hits every one of them right on the head. Yeah? And the reason he hits them right on the head is because he knew them, he had a relationship with them, and he considered them, as he starts in the chapter, as those sitting on the seat of Moses, and they ought to know better. Yeah. So that's, that's why uh, the Pharisees are very, very prim prominent in the New Testament. In our own worldview, we've had problems with the Pharisees. And the reason we've had problems with is because of these seven excesses that are listed in Matthew 23 and in the Jewish sources. Yes. Yes, they did misinterpret the prophecies. And it's true. Jesus witnesses to the fact that they loved the scriptures and that they missed him. And the reason they missed him yeah, is because they were doing the things that he was criticizing. 
and that they eventually criticized themselves, like the passage in the Talmud that I just said. And they knew what the, 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 the situation is this. You know, most people in the depth of their heart know what's wrong with them. If you ask yourself, what's wrong with me? And you are alone in the room, you very well could list a long list of all of your own shortcomings. If you can't, you have a problem. Yeah? You're mentally ill. Yeah? If you don't know your own shortcomings and limitations, then you have megalomania. Yeah? Megalomania is a mental illness. Yeah? Now, we all know them. The problem is that it's very difficult for me and for anybody else to make a commitment to work on them. Yeah? We are very fortunate to have Benjamin Franklin that was not really such a saintly person, but he had a wonderful attitude toward himself. Yeah? And he knew what he has to work on. What was the name of his diary? Who? A poor Richard's almanac. Yeah? And in that he actually made him set himself goals to work on his lack of virtue, on, on his impatience, on his selfishness, and on all of these things that he knew he ought not to have, but he had them. And at least he, in his, in his, in his almanac, in his diary, made an effort to work on them, which is a very healthy thing. Yeah? I don't know where his wife was to remind him, uh, but, uh, but it is very important to have a wife that will remind you and will help you work on some of your shortcomings. Now, that's the difficulty that we have. But it's not difficult to know where we are lacking. Yeah? And so Jesus as the conscience of the people and the conscience of his own group, the Pharisees, yeah, with whom he identified more than anybody else, yeah, felt that he has the right to criticize them. Yeah? And they missed him. In other words, even a person knows the scripture, he can still miss the Messiah. Because faith is not only a function of knowledge. Faith is a conscious desire of the will. And this is something that we, we don't, because we have inherited the view of faith from the Protestant world. That means that to have faith is to agree with certain principles. Yeah, I believe in, that in Jesus Christ. What does it mean? I believe that He is the Messiah. I believe, I acknowledge these facts. These creedal statements, written or unwritten, to believe is to acknowledge a creedal statement. Yeah? To accept certain truths. That's to believe. But biblically, that's not all that there is to believe. To believe is to make a willful commitment. To put your trust in. That's what to believe is. And that's why they missed him. Because they acknowledged a lot of things about the Messiah. But they did not make a willful commitment to follow Jesus. 
Nativia, www.netivyah.org.